This is a Soul Fire production. All right, all right, and we're back at it this week, guys. Welcome. I'm a little late. A little late. I wanted to do this podcast on Monday. It is currently Friday. I have been sick as hell. It's not been fun. Some stomach stuff, but not really so much that. It was more the congestion, throat, lack of sleep, brain fog. I got my ass kicked by a one-year-old child. We did a nanny share with our friend's kid. The kid was sick. Everybody got sick. Roe was sick for a couple days. Kelly was sick for a couple days. I had been sick for a week. Um, it just lingered on me. It just would not get out of me. Uh, of course, I wasn't sleeping well because I was sick and because I have a small kid. And uh, I tried to sauna, tried to get it out of me that way. I tried to work out a little bit. That ended poorly. It's just, yeah, it's been a really shitty week. But I'm really grateful to be here. I think this is just one of those things that's going to happen when you have a kid that's around other kids, which we do want. We want these things. Uh, but it just seemed like I was outside as much as I could, just getting some vitamin D. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was bad. I'm really sorry it took me so long to get this episode out. But I'm feeling a little better today. I might have to take some breaks to to cough a little and blow my nose. But the magic of editing will spare you from having to hear that. And uh, I'm stoked to be here. I'll be recording the premium episode tomorrow. And speaking of the premium episode, if you want to get involved in the Patreon Ask direct questions, weekly AMA episodes from the Patreon, for the Patreon, by the Patreon. Now I can offer a free week. It took a while for Patreon to roll this out, but you get a free week. So you can get in there, jump in on the topic request for the AMA, get that free week's episode, that episode, that first week's episode for free. We jump in there every week and do this. So you can get a trial, see what it's about, see if you're into it before you have to fully commit. Just patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. Check it out. I really would appreciate it. It makes this whole thing so much better. The more people that are in there, the better the AMAs are anyways, the more content we can make, and the more I can understand what's going on with you guys, and that helps me shape the content of this show because I want to keep this relevant to the audience that gives a fuck, which happens to be you guys. So anyways, it's been a weird week, as I said. been a crazy week. Uh, RFK was on Joe Rogan and since I've seen you guys last, which was super fun, and we're going to get into that because we're going to have... An RFK update pretty much every week, it seems like now. But before we get into that, I want to talk about two little things. I want to have a little banter around two little things. This Elon Musk versus Zuckerberg fight, so or a, a sanctioned cage match. Uh, it's like Celebrity Deathmatch has just become real now, which was a great show on MTV back in the day. And Elon, I don't know how this even came about necessarily. Elon and Zuck were kind of going back and forth on Twitter. And they're going to throw down, apparently. And if it may, it may happen, it may not happen. I just want to state for the record that I think now I'm kind of an Elon fan in some certain ways. Sometimes he gets on my nerves, but in some ways I'm a fan. Um, I think Zuckerberg will beat his ass. Zuckerberg trains. He does BJJ, does Muay Thai. He throws pretty good leg kicks. Like I just don't see a way that Musk handles himself well in that situation. That being said, Zuckerberg is like 5'7 and Musk is like 6'2". We'll see. But I hope they do it. And I hope we see more of this. I would love to see more of this. Uh, maybe Trump could get in the ring. You know, maybe we could throw it down that way. Actually, instead of having elections, we should just have full on battles, battle royale. You know, 
Maybe Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom can get in the ring. That'd be fun. I think it'd be a good idea. I think it'd be really positive. Just kind of bring back that more like gladiator, gladiator culture into our world. You know, since this is a declining empire, as was the Roman Empire, maybe we could bring in some of the lingering kind of um, fantastical components of that culture into our culture as we slowly decline um, in a similar fashion and make way for the Asian imperialism to then rise up in our place. But who knows? We'll see. Speaking of dystopia, Black Mirror released their new season. I believe it was season six. I just finished it last night. First couple of episodes were okay. Um, the Joan is awful and into the sea or yeah, over the sea, whatever. The one about the space guys and the one about Netflix making AI reality shows about your life. Um, those two were good. They were okay. The rest of them were absolute fucking garbage. And not that, they, not that they were bad shows, but they did not fit into the Black Mirror universe well at all. Black Mirror, even though the creator said something different now, but the reason the show is called Black Mirror is because of the Black Mirror that we carry around with us all the time. Right? Our iPhones, our phones, our screens, our TVs. It's a Black Mirror. It's relevant to technology and the in the impacts of technology and how humans can manipulate technology and technology can manipulate humans. And it, there's hit and miss episodes, but generally speaking, it was a pretty profound show. And they were going to put out a new, another episode, another season, and then COVID happened, and they postponed it, kicked it down, the, kicked, kicked the can down the road a little bit, and they finally released our season, which was much anticipated, and just underdelivered completely. I mean, we had an episode about a fucking werewolf, and then one about a demon. So we're into supernatural shit now. And the whole thing about Black Mirror was that. It wasn't supernatural. It was very easy to grasp, like how this stuff could really happen, right? Some of the the most like scary episodes, like the most impactful episodes, were like, "Wow, I can see how we're heading that heading in that direction," and it's wild, right? Like the robot dog metalhead, the robot ep- dog episode. That's not that far from possible right now. That is actually possible right now. Like. Those, those robot dogs with guns and weapons and all kinds of shit are at these military industrial complex expos currently. And you know there's already facial recognition technology. This could all happen, right? And now some of the stuff, especially when you have Google Glass and you look at, you fast forward that to the implanted contact lenses that they've had and how they can store data in a little thing in the back of your head so you can replay your day and replay your life and they can scan that to, and the social credit court store stuff. Like all that stuff is really relevant to our life today. And I have a theory as to why they bitched out on this most recent season of Black Mirror. I think that COVID happened and a lot of the things that they kind of pointed to and leveraged to make a really great show, a really gripping and relatable show that teetered on the edge of dystopia oftentimes, a lot of those things became way too real, right? Because a lot of the stuff that was really seemed really wild and out there seems so much less wild and out there after surveillance lockdowns, the abuse of technology, centralized overreach on a grand scale. And I think they just straight either by, by cowardice or by the CIA knocking on Netflix's door and being like, Hey, you guys need to fucking chill with this. They bailed on their, on their principles as a show, right, on the, on the universe they had created and decided to insulate themselves 
by moving into the past. So everything besides Jonah's awful was done in the past or had nothing to do with technology whatsoever, right? It had to do, had to do with werewolves. That makes absolutely no sense. Like make, if you want to make like an are you afraid of the dark type show from the same people as that made Black Mirror, that kind of had the same structure, then make that show. That would be an easy show to greenlight. Netflix greenlights all kinds of shit. You have a track record of a, of a, of a proven kind of uh, universe you've created here. So go do that again with supernatural shit. That'd be cool. I'd love to see that. Don't bring, don't, don't co-opt the black mirror title to get views on your other shit. That makes no sense. I think this is the product of cowardice and not wanting to threaten this homogeneous kind of narrative that has been forced on us as a culture. Netflix didn't want to, didn't want to poke the, poke the hornet's nest there. And the result was trash. The result was a complete missed opportunity to make really compelling uh, TV. And I love movies and I love TV shows and I love when they can do a really great job. But this was not that. This was embarrassingly bad and really, really pathetic. And um, one star, Black Mirror, recent season, watch it. If you disagree with me, let me know. But goddamn, that was shit. That was absolute shit. But in the real world, a lot of discussion has been happening about aliens. And so, to check in on the authorities on such things, I turn to Theo Vaughn and Duncan Trussell. Let's see what they have to say about alien life forms. Yeah, it was a, it was an inter- interesting area, man. But yeah, I think that's the thing. There will be a, there will come a time, and maybe it's coming now because aliens seems to be the you know gaining popularity. I, I don't know if it's gaining popularity or if it's gaining, um, like more sightings or whatever. What is this? Yeah, this is actually pretty topical. NASA just held like a four hour press conference about UFOs for the first time, and they're basically admitting that it's a daily occurrence at this uh, point. Can, UFOs. There actually, there's one thing that's happened since this weirdly boring nasa press conference where they mm-hmm. did say this did you see the thing there there's now a whistleblower who has come forward and said that the united states has alien spaceship wreckage and a congressman i can't remember his name gave a statement to the press saying they were debriefed mm-hmm. that in fact we have alien wreckage that here's the thing duncan of course we do we have for a long ass time. We've known this forever. What the fuck? Like people are like, why are people no not so not not anymore like conf- like animated about this? Why is this? Why are people not freaking out? Because we've known this for so long. This is so blatantly obvious that we have wreckage, right? This has been a conspiracy theory for decades, right? And you have very credible people coming out saying like, yeah, this is what we're doing here. You know, it's been it's been even made satirical in different shows about how the men in black, how they gave us Velcro and different shit like this is <laughs> so obvious that we how would we not? How would we not? If we these occurrences happen all the time, there are so many credible stories. Of course, there's a lot of kooks out there, too. But now, for some reason, now things are changing. Maybe it's a psyop. Let's continue. And they're about to have hearings on it. So all the UFO people are, yeah, that's it. The we're definitely not alone thing. People are really freaking out right now because, you know, this is what all the UFO people have been saying is coming. Mm. Disclosure. 
So, yeah, it's that guy. A whistleblower says he handed over classified evidence proving that a secret government program has been recovering spaceships and aliens for decades. Yep. Uh, We're definitely not alone, David Grush says. Uh, He's a former intelligence and military official. Um, Hmm. Hmm. Representative Rep Republican Dean Phillips, uh, a representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota, uh, Democrat, added, my first reaction is probably like everybody watching this, which is wow. And secondly, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I mean, that's fair. You're not supposed to immediately believe UFO. Oh, no. You, but, but what's interesting about this is that the denial that usually happens when things like someone says that it's not really happening in the same way. And Again, there was a congressman who said we were debriefed. Like, did you ever see that? Cre- so, like, they did hearings on UAPs a while ago. And then after the hearing, they debriefed the feds, the uh, like a Congress, the Congress, they debriefed them. And they did an interview with one of these representatives in the hallway after he just got told whatever the fuck they told him. Mm-hmm. And he's he said, you can find it on YouTube. He said something along the lines of, lock your doors and windows tonight, folks. That was his response. Like, whatever they told him inspired him to say we should, like, lock our doors. Like, that's going to keep an alien out. <laughs> lock your doors after classified hearing on UFOs. A Louisiana senator. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> this is the same state that couldn't keep brothers outside of my head when i was a kid dude i'm telling you you could like this is nuts you can watch can are you allowed to show youtube videos on here there's a clip of him doing it it's hilarious is this him right here doing it oh yeah that's it flying objects that a couple of weeks ago our skies were clear and then all of a sudden we have spy balloons and other identified unidentified flying objects raining down on us like confetti that is not accurate. Um, these objects have been flying over us for years, many years. We've known about those objects for many years. We're not sure that we've known about all of them, but we've known about many of them, except for the Chinese spy balloon. We don't know what they are. What's different about the last two weeks is that we've started shooting them down. But we can't find the remnants, except for the, 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 uh, the, the spy balloon. And that's what I took away from the hearing today. So I don't know if he paid attention during the whole hearing then. No. <laughs> confetti. Raining down like confetti. It's a great descriptor. Um, yeah, that's what I don't, yeah, I think, but maybe I could see if there's an alien life form, you shoot it, you, whatever, yeah. and it, it dissipates, it's part of the way it's constructed is not to fall down to this, that would be the first right. thing I would make of something that can't leave evidence. Right, like, exactly, but, so, uh, like, based on the stuff that's coming out right now, and, you know, I love UFOs in the same way I love like stories about magic and miracles and I but I don't go full bore into it because ultimately like day to day reality isn't impacted 
like, you know, mundane reality, right? Like taking care of the kids, paying the mortgage. So you can get too distracted by that stuff and spin out. But this moment in United States history is really fascinating in the sense that if we go back to Roswell, mm-hmm. it was a weather balloon. That's what they say. Even though there's like many accounts of people saying that they saw aliens, there was weird wreckage that uh, seemed to be able to, like you could bend it out of shape and it would go back into the form it was. Just wow. like weird shit. Right. This gets uh, denied by the government. It was wreckage. Weird stories about it. Whatever. We get Area 51. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that it, it has its own airplane that flies people in. You get a variety of like early phase government whistleblowers like Lazar, I think is his name. The Alan guy. Lazar. Bob Lazar. <laughs> Bob Lazar, yeah. Bob Lazar. Uh, you get like uh, that. And then these people get creamed in the media. It's like, that's a lunatic. He never worked at Area 51. This is bullshit. He's that's like Bob a Lazar. con artist, whatever. But now what's happening is instead of the denial that generally follows the whistleblower's admission of the, us like having some connection to aliens, it's not getting denied as much anymore. And in fact, this whistleblower program they just created makes it so anyone who signed an NDA who's a private contractor and has been assigned to work on alien wreckage can now come forward and say, really? I worked on this shit and they get full immunity because that apparently was the back door. Like you, so there was a, the, these programs you could hire, like, I don't know, name any like Raytheon. I don't know for sure. They, I don't know if they have wreckage. I'm just throwing out like a, right, a defense yeah. contract. Raytheon. Um, hire Raytheon. Duracell. Dur, hire, hire Duracell. Say, look, We've got this ship. It crashed. Can you guys hang on to it? Try to reverse engineer it. And so now a private contractor has collected the wreckage, has the wreckage, meaning if you're asked under oath, do we have wreckage? You could say no. and Because we don't. A right. private contractor has the wreckage. That was the, uh, loophole. the loophole. So now they set up this whistleblower program and all these people like that guy are starting to come out. People who just like worked it. Hyundai or I don't know worked it like Dodge Neon Dodge Neon and they were like hey what can you reverse engineer this thing that seems to be bending the time space continuum and they're like no but they couldn't say anything about it because they signed these hardcore NDAs so now they're all leaking the data so we're getting this weird slow leak from all these people that's painting a picture and that's a real program that they allow now how how did that program get created the whistleblower program so what was happening was um, well, the biggest problem is like people, it, apparently people get around these things and everyone listening, you can look all this up. It's like all it's, I, I've got the documents. It's, it's documented. It's real. Like, okay. it's not like I'm just, it's real. You can find all this stuff, but uh, the biggest problem is you're a Navy pilot yeah, and you see something that is not functioning according to your understanding. Not kosher. Seems odd. It's going so fast. It's stopping it's just stopping like it's a, right. a cursor on a computer screen. Then it's going the opposite direction. It's jamming your radar. It doesn't seem to have windows, right? So you see that and your choices are, do I say I saw what is obviously a UFO? And if you do, you could really like fuck your career up. Yeah. So you couldn't talk about it. The other problem is that apparently people who get too close to these things, they have, there's a physiological impact. So, Let's imagine you got close to one of these things and now you're sick. Mm. The VA won't pay for it right? because there are no UFOs. What are you talking about? And so 
inadvertently you end up creating a situation where people won't say what they're seeing up in the sky, right? which isn't great if you're trying to defend the sky. We want to know what's out there. You want to know everything that's flying through U.S. airspace, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the whistleblower program was, I think, initially to kind of create a safe way. Haven. A safe haven. Where yeah. people could say, okay, this is what I saw. I don't want to endanger myself. I don't want to endanger not being able to get medical care and things like that. That's it. So this is interesting, and I love having these guys talk about it because they're very relatable dudes, and Duncan Trussell is awesome, but here's the thing. We we flew to Hawaii recently, and it was a really fun trip. We got on the airplane, and I remember thinking, God damn, this is archaic. Like, how are we not doing something different? You know what I mean? I got to get in this thing, this jet propulsion, and it seems cool. It seemed like it was cool back in the day, you know, 50, 60 years ago. It seemed like it was a good way to get around, but why are we still doing it this way? You know, there's got to be some other way that we could have figured out to, how to do this. And I live in a place here in Colorado where I'm just surrounded by military contractors. Never saw a UFO until I moved here. I did see a UFO or two UFOs, actually, when I was out uh, early, early morning uh, duck hunting. And did some weird stuff in the sky. It was really cool. But, um, and I was like, well, that's probably Lockheed. Because Lockheed's down the road. Or Raytheon's down the road. Or Boeing's. They're all up here. Right, they're all over the place, and there's a bunch of missile silos up here too. This is like not the place you want to be. This is where missiles will be landing and leaving from, and it's yeah, it would be a bad, it would be a bad situation. But um, when you look at this and you think about this, it's like there have been so much, so much wreckage, so many accounts, so much of this and that and whatever sightings, videos, a lot of it credible, a lot of it absurd, and I mean, I even saw one of a crop circle being made that I've seen before, and it's just like that's. Nobody could make that at that time, right? Nobody could edit a VHS tape in that way. And you see all of this, and you're like, there's got to be more to this. And we've been places like, there's some shit that we've seen, and you look at how old civilization is, and stuff they found in Antarctica that they, we just don't know about. There's parts of the Grand Canyon that you can't get into. Like, there's so much hidden from us. And I know I have a little bit of a conspiratorial bend here, for sure. But there's so much hidden from us, and... At some point, you got to just get curious enough to be like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And you look at these like Roswell, different things, Area 51, the moon landing, different stuff. And you think at the time, it was plausible that people could buy this stuff. But when we would look at it through our modern lens, back at these things, back at these cover-ups is what they were. And let's call them what they are. They were fucking cover-ups, right? And you have these ones in South America and these different things. You just don't have the capacity to cover these things up in the same way they used to. And the cover-ups they did back then just don't hold up to modern scrutiny. They just don't hold up to it anymore. We can look at them. We've been misled enough times. We're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's that doesn't hold up. In 1965, that held up. That doesn't hold up now. And so I think they're having to kind of cope with the reality that they just can't keep hiding this shit because we've all got 4K cameras in our pocket and we can just do it. You know, we figure things out and, and uh, information travels by uncontrolled means oftentimes. And so I think... They're leaking stuff in a way that will keep people relatively comfortable. But at the end of the day, I want to see this shit. I want to see what's in Antarctica. The shit they thought, what Buzz Aldrin said, they thawed out shit they shouldn't have thawed out. Like there's some stuff down there and stuff in the grant, like these old, old hundreds of thousands of year old things. And who knows? Like we have a deeper story that I think things like religion pacify us from understanding. Right, because if you go back not that long ago, it was like, well, the Earth's seven thousand years old, and dino- and you still have these fucking deep dipshits that are like dinosaurs walked around at the same time as humans did, and there's a somebody painted a picture of something that looks kind of like a dinosaur, so dinosaurs were here three thousand years ago, and you're like, 
what? What? I mean, some dinosaurs are kind of here now. A crocodile is a kind of a dinosaur. An ostrich is kind of a dinosaur. But like, come on. Come on. And I think these things pacify us, and that's by design, in my opinion, to keep us from asking bigger questions and trying to understand our full capacity and our full history. And I think if we go back and look at things like how the fucking pyramids were developed and other things that we just don't have access to and don't have information on, if we could look at things like that, we might be able to figure something else out that could lead to a potential destabilization or a decentralization of power, and that's a big threat. Now, I know I'm getting pretty deep in the weeds, but this is kind of where my mind goes. And it maybe wouldn't have gone there five years ago, but it sure as fuck goes there now. And that's where I'm at with this. I wanted to bring this UFO thing up. And maybe it's a PSYOP. I don't know. And maybe both are true. Fuck if I know. It's just, it, but it's like, I'm so curious. I'm so curious about this. Maybe I have nothing better to do, but goddamn. Like, I love our reality now. I don't like people necessarily most of the time, but like, I love the mountains. I love water. That's why I, that's why I care so much about the environment. I just like to, I like the sun. <laughs> you know what I mean, I like the planet. These things are cool. I think we have a really magical thing here, and I think there's a lot of things that previous civilizations, before new, the numerous resets we've had of civilization, figured out that maybe if we all had access to, we could unlock and understand, right? Just by the factor of of of, of wide distribution. Right. And with the technology that we have, we could probably unlock some way deeper shit. But we have these centralized authorities that want that for themselves and want to leverage that for themselves. And we just don't get the opportunity to, to, to dig into it. And it's sad to me. It's really sad. But aliens are real. And maybe they're just us from the future traveling back in time. Who knows? But I want to know. Don't you want to know? Don't you? Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Element. Guys, it is hot. I'm sweating right now in my office. And the first thing I do when I leave here, because I think I'm going to go to the golf course, to be honest with you, is um, drink an Element. I'm going to make a big-ass Element. I'm going to throw it in my golf bag, and I'm going to head to the range. And I might go play nine. We'll see if there's a spot open right now. It's Friday afternoon. We'll see. But here's the, it's so hot. You're sweating so much. And you need those electrolytes. Your brain, your body, your performance will thank you for providing it with high-quality nutrition, the magnesium, and the salted element, along with the delicious flavors that make it hyper-palatable, make it so much easier to, to drink a ton of water. And you need it right now, okay? It's hot. Where are you at? Are you in Austin? Are you in 70% humidity? It's 105? You can probably do two or three elements a day, and you'd be all right. I'm doing at least two a day right now because I'm, I mean, it's 100 the other day in the mountains of Colorado. I'm about to get back in the mountains and start scouting. It's going to be 90 degrees. I'm going to do a 2,000 feet of elevation gain in a day. I'll be drinking nothing but Element, and I'll be glad that I have it and grateful for Rob Wolf and the Element team for developing something so delicious and so good for you. So here's the deal. They've got grapefruit out right now. Grapefruit is a summer flavor, so make sure to grab a box of that, and I love watermelon. Now, if you want to get a little bit twisted on the weekends, you can make a nice mixer. Just make it real strong. Right, Do about half the amount of water that you would with the Element and drop a splash of tequila or vodka in any of these flavors. And they taste so good. They're so delicious, so beautiful, so wonderful. And then you can also, if you have a little hangover, which you'll have less of one because you'll stay hydrated. And lack of hydration is a big problem when it comes to a hangover. You can also use Element to get yourself hydrated back up. Now, don't go overboard. and I don't endorse reckless drinking. But if you want to have a drink or two because it's the summertime, feel free. 
right? So Element has watermelon and grapefruit is a seasonal flavor. So make sure to grab a couple boxes of that. And if you go to my link, uh, drinkelement.com slash wanders, excuse me, guys, my brain is a, it's a bit fried. Drinkelement.com slash wanders. You're going to get a free variety pack to try out the rest of their popular flavors as well. Right, So order your watermelon, order that grapefruit. Those are my two favorite flavors. And of course, that grapefruit is seasonal. And you're going get to a, get a variety pack in case there's another flavor in there that you want to try that you love. Maybe it's a citrus. I don't know. Maybe it's mango habajero. Who knows? I don't know. Could be. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. You hear a lot about CBD, CBDs everywhere, CBD this, CBD that, adaptogens, whatever, whatever. I can testify to the potency and the purity and the excellence of cured supplements. And I don't say that. I wouldn't have them on here if I didn't know them and love them. Now, I am friends with the founder, full disclosure, and (laughs) I really love that dude too. He's super wicked smart, and he's a hell of an entrepreneur, and he's put together an incredible company. Now, there's all kinds of stuff ranging from dog treats to topical salves that I've been putting on my back because my back's been a little bit tripped out, and I love that stuff as well. I used it with my Graston tool. I Graston my arms, my back, my legs, um, which is just create some blood flow, but that CBD salve is just so good. It smells good. It feels good. It helps a ton when I'm feeling sore and kind of beat up. And I've had some trouble sleeping because I've been sick. Sicked? See? I can't talk today. (laughs) I've been having trouble sleeping because I've been sick. And I've been using their raw caps, and it has been so helpful for helping me get some sleep. Make sure to check it out, guys. Cured Nutrition. There's a link in the show notes. Click that link. You're going to get 15% off. And you're going to be better for it. Quality company, a Colorado-based company, not some kind of huge corporation that's owned by God knows who. Incredible people own that company. Incredible people work there. And they do a great job making quality products. So check out the link in the show notes to get your 15% off. And uh, CBD yourself up. Now let's get back to the show. Anyways, so this thing came up. (laughs) Moving on. <laughs> Moving on here. We all saw the thing on Twitter. I've heard about the thing on Twitter where RFK was on Rogan's podcast. He said a bunch of things about autism and Wi-Fi and all this stuff. And and I think people are actually way more keen to listening to that kind of conversation now than they were four or five years ago. And asking bigger questions and asking different questions and just being curious and, and, and wanting to find out why things are changing the way they're changing, why people are sicker, why autism rates are so high, um, and why that's changed so much in the past 50 years. And Peter Hotez came out, tried to call bullshit. Rogan invited him on the podcast, said he donated $100,000 to the charity of his choice, and then people started adding to that. It ended up well over a million dollars, donated to whatever charity he wanted to come on or wanted to donate to, to come on Rogan's podcast and um, debate RFK with no time limit. And I'm sure Rogan would have been open to having another moderator there, maybe someone like Mehdi Hassan, who is a complete shill of, of corporate media and the pharmaceutical industry, right? So that guy um, also called bullshit. And it's, just, it's been a crazy thing. But of course, Peter Hotez is not going to go on there. He can't really hold up to scrutiny. And, um, yeah, he has his lackeys kind of backing him on that and it's been a shitstorm, right? Pretty predictable. Hotez was never going to go on there and debate RFK. Hotez is a coward. He's a junk food addict. He gives zero fucks about actual health. His, his focus and desire and the complete goal of his job 
right? His career is pharmaceutical intervention. So to think that he's not going to be pro pharmaceutical intervention is going to back off of that an inch is pretty naive. It's just not going to happen. And there's not probably not even that much we could learn from that besides embarrassing him, which would be fun, but it's not going to happen. I have less of a problem with that than I do with this. Now we're going to play this full segment. And I did this a while back with crystal ball and her kind of bad faith conversation with RFK on their on breaking points. And when I looked at that, I was like, all right, cool. And they had, had him on again, which I appreciate. And I appreciate them having him on. I appreciate them discussing him and doing whatever. Crystal seems to fashion herself as an anti, um, anti-war, anti-institutionalized intelligence leverage. Like the, she, she wants, she seems to, to, to pretend that she wants to undermine the intelligence community, the military industrial complex. She wants to do something about healthcare, all of these things. She seems to believe these things, right? But when someone has the track record, the capacity, the experience to do those things, she finds a reason to undermine this person. So we're going to play this. Uh, it's called Billionaire Backed Pop- Populism Exposed from Breaking Points. So let's just play this. is a 10-minute clip of Crystal uh, in her uh, monologue here on Breaking Points. Crystal, what do you take a look at? Well, devoid of much tangible political progress and stripped of hope that anything could really change, our politics has mostly collapsed into a competition of vibes. Crafty politicians recognizing the angry populist moment, they've seized on the anti-establishment aesthetic, offering appealing contrarian vibes that substitute for an actual platform that really challenges economic elites, where if you can mutter a few magic mantras and get the right people to hate you, then you too can have your moment in the political sun. These fraudulists are seizing on a market opening. A large group of voters are disgusted, rightly so, with the two major parties and angry with an economy that has failed them for their whole lives. I want to just up in here real quick. I wasn't planning on this, but when she says get the right people to hate you, what she's talking about is um, the pharmaceutical industry, the military industrial complex, and the intelligence community, right? So when we think like, oh, well, the, if these people hate someone, that must mean they're kind of onto something. That's what she's talking about. Those are the same people that she seems to hate, right? Those are the same people that she seems to want to undermine, but it's a problem when those people dislike a candidate because that candidate seeks to undermine them, it's a weird little bit of hypocrisy there. But actually delivering for those voters and standing up to the economic royalists, that is so hard. Embracing catchphrases is so easy. So after having absorbed the political lessons of Trump and burning the itch that both of them scratched, this election season has seen an explosion of candidates who know how to talk the populist talk without actually really walking the walk. I got three examples for you today of politicians left, right, and center that this description fits. First, let's start with the least successful and most clownish fraudulent effort. This comes courtesy of the folks at No Labels. Now, this is a billionaire-backed group that is planning a third-party run and seeking ballot access in all 50 states. Their website uses all the language of anti-establishment third-party efforts. They talk about the duopoly. They speak in vague terms about the common-sense majority. As we found out, though, in an interview earlier this week, they're very skittish when you actually ask them about their specific policy views. Just take a listen. Can you get specific about what your complaints specifically with Joe Biden are and how your theoretical candidate would reflect a different policy valence than with the Biden administration, which I view as very centrist and very moderate, which is you guys' brand, what they've put forward? So this is, this is something that we've been very clear about since the beginning, which is 
we are not doing this because of subjective judgment about how good or bad Biden is or a judgment about Trump. What we're doing is something that nobody else in the political system seems to be doing, which is actually just responding to what the public clearly wants. Now, hmm. they have obviously different reasons for not liking Trump right now or not liking Biden. But the one thing we can anchor in is that they want a better choice. And in our view, having the ballot, and in July, we're actually going to be putting out some ideas. What that's going to finally do for the first time in a long time is there's this huge common sense majority in this country that gets ignored, that both parties don't feel like they have to be accountable to. It's no accident that no labels actively avoid specific critiques of Biden or of Trump, preferring to live in the mushy language of common sense immunity. Because the billionaire-backed agenda that they actually support is wildly unpopular. We know... I will agree that no labels is kind of a joke that because we can see from their allies and from their track record where their commitments truly lie. No Label's favorite, Senator Kirsten Cinema, she went to the mat to protect the private equity bonanza carried interest loophole. Another No Label's darling, Joe Manchin, he blocked tax hikes on the rich. Josh Gottheimer of the No Label's Allied Problem Solvers Caucus, he was ready to blow everything up to reinstate the salt tax deduction for the rich. Their allies have been among the most slavishly devoted to protecting corporate interests and low taxes for the wealthy. Now, tellingly, no labels complains about Republicans and Democrats being beholden to special interests, but then they refuse to disclose their own donors. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of confused about their 2024 tactics, but their goals are really clear. They want to use majoritarian rhetoric to Trojan horse in an agenda that is even more pro-corporate than what Biden or Trump would actually enact polar opposite of what the American people truly want. Next up, we've got the right-wing mode of fraudulism, which has been embraced by quite a few prominent figures, but is articulated in its most pristine form by Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, Vivek and DeSantis, among others, they've used the cloak of wokeness to posture as anti-corporate, while boosting what is truly a thoroughly corporate-friendly ideology. Just take a listen. So in a nutshell, here's how it worked. Wall Street got in bed with a bunch of woke millennials. Together, they birthed woke capitalism, and of course, they put Occupy Wall Street up for adoption. You don't even know what that is anymore. That's the Wall Street edition. As it turns out, there's a really similar backroom deal playing out in the other coast, in Silicon Valley as well. And here's the way it works over there. Woke activists demand that big tech censors political views that they don't like. And in return, the left agrees to leave big tech's monopoly power intact. And again, it is working masterfully for both sides. That is how this new arranged marriage works. This is not a marriage of love. This is more like mutual prostitution, and it is working. And the net result is the rise of America's newest leviathan, the woke industrial complex. It is no longer just Wall Street. It is no longer just Silicon Valley. It is the entirety of corporate America as we know it. This is actually a pretty clever trick, which I talked about at greater length in an earlier monologue, breaking down Vivek's interview <clears throat> with Jordan Peterson. Basically, embrace anti-corporate language, but instead of looking to address their power grip on the nation through antitrust, getting money out of politics, boosting unions and the like, you hit them on nothing more than their fake diversity and environmental virtue signaling. You can see this playing out right now with outrage over Target's meaningless pride displays or Bud Light's use of a trans influencer. Do you think these companies actually care one bit about LGBTQ allyship? Of course they don't. They just thought marketing to the queer community was a good money-making strategy you're not putting even a tiny dent in their social and political power by fixating on their meaningless gestures. But it is a brilliant way to keep your big donors and still maintain your populist aesthetic. Now, Vivek has actually made a whole career out of opposing so-called ESG. He even launched his own fund to pressure companies into strictly pursuing short-term profit maximization without the fake liberal values. But if it needs to be spelled out, 
Forcing companies to only maximize profit is not exactly the revolutionary stance they might want us to think it is. Vivek and his ilk posture like they're opposing capital, when in reality they're just demanding capital be as psychopathically committed to the bottom line as possible. Now, if your biggest beef with corporate America is a Pride Month display, your biggest problem with Wall Street is some diversity hires, and your biggest complaint about the military-industrial complex is some inclusion training, you have completely missed the point, and your phony critique challenges absolutely nothing. Well, I think that Vivek doesn't have a chance. I do think he kind of occupies that space that um, Andrew Yang occupied in the Democratic primary last go around, where he does change the conversation and he has valid points. Uh, but I do think that his his substance is quite shallow. Uh, but that being said, he can identify the trend that happened and how things like Occupy Wall Street have gone by the wayside because Lockheed Martin and whoever financial institution flies a rainbow flag. Like that's, that is a little bit absurd. And I think is, is done a lot to avoid accountability for those institutions. Now let's continue to the most egregious part of this monologue. And that brings me to the weird world of the online left mode of faux populism as represented by RFK Jr. Now listen, on a personal level, I actually really like Bobby. And for what it's worth, he strikes me as truly sincere. But it's become increasingly clear we share very little in terms of a commitment to checking corporate power and restoring power to the working class. His approach, though, has been the most successful by far in finding appeal, I think because of his sincerity. His primary message is that his responsibility is to rebuild the middle class. That without a middle class, we do not have a functioning democracy. If you have nothing but wealthy people on top and widespread poverty beneath them, you do not have a democracy. I said that several fucking times, Crystal. That is essential, an essential part of his message that you seem to ignore for some reason. I can't understand why, but you seem to ignore it over and over and over again. And because it contains a few truly anti-establishment positions, namely his stated desire to end military aid to Ukraine, to combat online censorship, and to challenge Big Pharma. But if you ask him any questions on economics, he will proudly tell you he is a, quote, radical free marketeer, and that is music to the ears of every Wall Street ghoul and corporate profiteer. He's not sure what the minimum wage should be, won't fight for Medicare for all. <sighs> the minimum wage thing. They brought it up on the show. They said... What do you believe the minimum wage should be? I think, personally, as someone who is really in favor of certain areas having a much higher minimum wage, that a standard minimum wage for the entire country is absolutely fucking absurd. It is so much more expensive to live in Denver than it is to live in Castle Rock, right? It's so much more expensive to live in Austin than it is to live in San Marcos. These are different areas that deserve a different minimum wage. It's different to live in Dallas than it is to live in Graham, Texas. And for them both to have the same minimum wage is absolutely moronic. It should be so much higher in a place like Dallas, and it could be much lower in a place like Graham, Texas, where I grew up. You can survive there on $30,000 a year. Now, that's changed a lot because many people from the Metroplex have moved to that area and bought up little novelty ranches and things like that. But what what Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s position was is that people deserve a living wage and we need to rebuild the working class. And he's open-minded in how to do that, unlike Bernie Sanders, who I was a supporter of, who thinks you can blanket government policy your way out of these things, which is so fucking naive. Let's be real. Bernie Sanders fucking lost. He lost. 
Okay, he lost because he was toothless and he lost because he didn't embrace nuance and he was so singularly focused. And then he took on some other shit in 2020 and he lost again. And that frustrates me to no end. And yes, there was a ton of corruption that played part in that. But a lot of that had to do with his own failings. And so to be open minded in how you want to achieve a living wage and to be open minded to different things and see how the future is going to be shaped out with AI and different ways of, of, of minimizing the workforce, there needs to be a lot of open mindedness and curiosity around this, which Crystal seems to have zero capacity to internalize. Let's continue. Doesn't know what he thinks about UBI and a federal jobs guarantee, and he will signal verbal support for unions, but hasn't laid out an actual plan to reverse decades of union density decline. No wonder his bid has received backing from a number of prominent billionaires. When Brianna Joy Gray recently asked about his support from those billionaires and whether he would accept corporate PAC money, RFK Jr. ended up sounding exactly like Nancy Pelosi, declaring that he's got to raise as much as possible, no matter the potential corruption. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not allowed to coordinate with our super PACs, um, but uh, it's, I think, you know, and Bernie was able to do, as you said, to raise a lot of money. And I think Obama was raised a lot of money. And that's what I'm going to focus on from small donors. Uh, but, you know, if you're a super PAC, I, you know, it, the law is just wrong in our country, but it's hard to, uh, you know, it, it, we're, we, you, at, at some point, you have to say, okay, I'm going to play by the rules as they are given to us. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bring a knife to a gunfight. Even- so, by deciding he wants to win, by deciding he wants to play by the rules or there, even though he admits the rules are wrong, and by by committing to repealing Citizens United, where, where money does not equal speech, which was a terrible ruling by the Supreme Court, by admitting that, but then being committed to actually winning to make the changes that need to be made so that's not the case going forward, you're going to undermine him? That's how you want to function with this shit, Crystal, because it's not the lady who fucking married you. Right? Because it's not Marianne Williamson and, and, and she her pie in the sky bullshit isn't resonating because it's not twenty sixteen and people don't want Medicare for all because they don't really want their health care coverage to be dictated by taking the drugs the government wants them to take. It's lost support. I'm sorry. It's not a fucking popular message anymore. It's done. It's over. The time has passed. And if we want to actually fucking win and make these changes, you've got to make some concessions and you've got to play the game. Bernie didn't play the game, and Bernie fucking lost. I'm more interested in winning than I am losing and feeling good about it. I'm fucking tired of that shit. I've done it enough times. I've done it for a decade. It's fucking over with. And your closed-mindedness is not doing anybody any favors. Even on RFK Jr.'s supposedly core anti-establishment positions, Bobby's opposition to the Ukraine war is not matched by a similar critique of U.S. empire. He's made some pretty eyebrow-raising comments about China and notably upholds the pro-Israel line of every American president from both parties. And if he thinks that cutting the defense budget in any meaningful way will be any easier than, say, passing Medicare for all, he's really got another thing coming. On So what... RFK said on Glenn Greenwald's uh, show system update is that he had come out and said some things about Israel and, and Israel funding. And then Greenwald challenged him. And you know what he said that most politicians don't do? He said, I need to rethink that. I think it may be time that we let Israel stand on its own two feet. He changed his position in real time and was open-minded and curious enough to hear that from Glenn because Glenn made very valid points. And I am not in favor of giving Israel any more money because they have a higher standard of living than we do in the United States for Israeli citizens. They have universal health care. That place is nice as shit. 
Now, what they're doing to the Palestinians is fucked, and we need to figure that shit out. We need to focus on that, and they need to be responsible for what they're doing there. On both sides of that, it's a fucking chaos. And I am against funding Israel's Iron Dome and all these other things. Right? I don't want to be throwing money at them. But the fact that he was open-minded enough to rethink his position in real time and wasn't out here talking canned talking points is not enough for Crystal. It's not enough. Give me a fucking break, lady. And RFK Jr.'s life's work, which is raging against Big Pharma, correctly pointed... His life's work, raging against Big Pharma. His entire career, up until, what, 15 years ago, was as an environmental lawyer. He undermined Monsanto. They had to sell to the Bayer Company because they were going to be bankrupt due to lawsuits that he won against Monsanto. He wants to talk about agriculture and soil health and water quality. And you're going to sit here and make it about the pharmaceutical industry. Go back to fucking MSNBC, Crystal. You are no better at this point than the people that are talking heads on MSNBC. You rail against corporate media while cucking to the same bullshit that they do. It's become fucking... I'm embarrassed of myself for being in support of you. I am reconsidering canceling my premium membership because of this shit. I can just watch clips and because what you're going to say is totally fucking predictable. I can watch Chris Hayes say the same shit. Pointing out their corruption, but incorrectly pushing fat-free claims that vaccines cause autism. Even on this core issue, he would keep the current disgusting system intact. When I asked about checking pharma through nationalizing the industry, at least creating a public pharma option, he immediately rejected those solutions as contrary to his free market commitment. On censorship, Bobby seems to embrace the... If you don't want to solve the problem in the way I want to solve the problem, then fuck you. That's what Crystal just said. If you don't want to solve the problem in the way that I think the problem should be solved, then fuck you. What he's talking about here, Crystal, because no one else is doing this. No one else wants to talk about more rigorous testing for pharmaceutical drugs, holding pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies accountable for their fuck-ups, um, removing liability shields for vaccines so that people so the pharmaceutical industry can be sued when it harms folks. No one else is talking about that. But if you don't want to nationalize it, if you don't think it's the best idea to nationalize the pharmaceutical industry, then that's not enough. We'll just do this. We'll just elect somebody who does the same shit that we've been doing for the past 50 fucking years since the Reagan administration. So what you're in favor of, Crystal, is the change that you want or no change at all, which is so self-centered and arrogant, it's fucking hard to hear. The right-wing concept of fighting censorship by finding the correct billionaires to control platforms, and that strategy has utterly failed under Elon. Rather than advocating for a more fundamental solution that would devolve content moderation to the people. So to sum up, based on what we've heard so far, under RFK Jr., billionaires keep their social media playthings, big pharma continues to pillage, and at least some of the most damaging and hypocritical aspects of the American moral machine march on. Like Trump, however, the right people hate RFK, and so that's enough for many. The billionaires she's talking about supporting him are, there's two, Chamath Palihapitiya and David Sachs. Chamath came and made himself a billionaire. He was poor as fuck. He lived above a laundromat as a kid. I don't know David Sachs' history, but these guys both, if you listen to them talking, there's hours and hours of Chamath and David Sachs talking on the All In podcast and sharing their views. And their views oftentimes are majoritarian positions. And they've seen the overreach of centralized authority in this country, and they've spoken to that at length. And they've disagreed with their co-hosts and they've stood up for their values and they, and they display their principles. And as far as billionaires go, you're going to need billionaires to win. That's where Bernie fucked up. You need billionaires to win. This is the United States of America. Do I wish it was that way? No, but that's the reality. And if Sachs, who's a Republican, and Chamath, who is one of the largest Democratic donors, 
are on the same team with somebody, they might they might be onto something, Crystal. And maybe you're a little butthurt because they don't take Marianne Williamson seriously, but that's not enough. This is in bad faith, plain and simple. 11 without troubling themselves too much with the details. Although, to be honest, a lot of his online support is from the libertarian and nationalist right, so RFK Jr.'s comfort with billionaires <laughs> and corporate power won't necessarily be a problem for them. As for the normie Democrats who are disgusted with Biden and enthused by the Kennedy name, too early to say how they're going to respond once they actually tune in to his pitch. So there you have it. Lots of billionaire-backed anti-establishment vibes this cycle. And my advice for you, for what it's worth, is to know what you believe in. Make sure you demand specifics. Don't get distracted by surface-level critiques. And as always, follow the money. Okay, Crystal. So let's look at this. The problems that you think we don't want to stop. So what, what Crystal is so dedicated to is Medicare for all, right? So what she doesn't want to actually make America a less sick place. She just wants to pay for the sickness publicly, right? And we talk about autism. She says, okay, I don't know if vaccines cause autism. I don't know. I do know that I don't trust those motherfuckers at all. And my daughter is completely unvaccinated. And you can come in the comments and call me all kinds of fucking names. I don't give a shit. I do not care. Uh, not going to change my mind. Don't trust them. Think she's better off without them. That's my choice as a parent. If you don't agree with that, you can go fuck yourself. Do whatever you want to do for your own kids. And that's fine. So we look at this here. Here's the rate of autism. Since 2000. It's now up to one in 36 children. In 1995, it was one in 1000. And yeah, while a little bit of that can be attributed to better um, detection standards, that can't attribute the whole thing can't be attributed to that. If we look back and even go back a little bit further here, 1970s, one in 10,000. 95, one in 1000. 99, one in 500. 2000, one in 150. 2004, one in one, 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 and 125. 2006, one in 110. Now we fast forward to 2020, one in 154. Now in 2022 or 2023, it's one in 36. Or yeah, one in one, yeah, exactly. One in 36. That's aggressive. That is an aggressive increase. Now, while people with autism deserve respect and care and love like any other kid, it can be a really tragic experience. Parents don't get a chance to live their lives, right? It takes away from attention from their other children. They have to quit their jobs. They don't get to go on date nights. They don't get to be intimate with their partner in the same way. It degrades relationships. A lot of, a lot of marriages don't make it, and that's devastating. That's devastating to families. That's devastating to the other children. And if we do, and, and Crystal has zero, because what Robert F. Kennedy wants to do is do more testing on these vaccines. Because you got to think, maybe you don't agree with him on the vaccine position, but how does that manifest in policy? More testing, more rigorous testing, accountability for vaccine companies who have who have overstepped and harmed people, right? Removing the liability shield. No more pharmaceutical advertising on, on media, which completely dismantles mainstream media, by the way, which Crystal apparently now all of a sudden has zero interest in. Day one, he is committed. He will sign an executive order banning pharmaceutical companies from advertising on TV. So the funding for CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, ABC, all of that is dra- drastically changed. But apparently Crystal doesn't really give a shit about mainstream media anymore and undermining them, Right? or the war machine, or the intelligence community, right? Not interested. Not interested in that anymore. Because he doesn't want to do Medicare for all, I guess. 
right? Now that's autism. Now think about other things. So maybe vaccines don't cause autism, but maybe there's a maybe there's a link between vaccines and chronic illness. That's possible, right? So if we look at this, here's a blog that put together a lot of interesting data. Chronic disease prevalence in America. <sighs> what is chronic disease? Chronic diseases, this is from the CDC, are ongoing, generally incurable illnesses or conditions such as heart disease, asthma, cancer, diabetes, and these diseases are, are often preventable. We've seen a, a, a distinct increase from 7.5% and before 1940 to 60%. In 2020. So the majority of Americans have some kind of chronic illness now. That is insane. And that is absolutely destroying us when it comes to the cost of healthcare. It's destroying us. It's so challenging, right? So if we could address this and find what is going on here, maybe it's vaccines, maybe it's chemicals in the water, maybe it's the, 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 the things that we allow in our food that most countries that don't have this problem don't allow in their food. There are some common links here. We've done a lot of, it could be glyphosate. Right, it could be a lot of things. There are so many things that could cause this, right? Just like we found out back in the day, because we thought we knew everything, that lead and gasoline was creating brain issues, and so that's been changed, right? So we have unleaded gasoline now. People were breathing that in; it was causing developmental issues in the brain. We didn't know that at the time. We don't know everything, and to be curious and explore these things, while it would undermine these powerful institutions that seem to not want it to happen, it could be really good for public health. And how much easier would it be to get a universal healthcare system if healthcare wasn't so so expensive because of preventable illness? And we can do that as a country. We have the capacity to make that happen, but Crystal is not interested in, in solving that problem whatsoever unless it's done in the way that she arrogantly believes it needs to be done. And if a billionaire is attached to this in any kind of way, if a billionaire also sees these problems and wants to solve them, well, that's a, that's a, that's a red line for Crystal. It's insane. Now, it says that now the CDC claims that the reason for this increase in, in uh, chronic disease is poor nutrition, lack of exercise, smoking, and alcohol consumption. But if we look down here, tobacco use has dropped to 14% in the same time period. Um, cancer has stayed the same odd physical activity has gone up in that same time period. Alcohol intake has stayed level and poor nutrition has stayed about level. So while everything else has stayed pretty much the same, chronic illness has gone through the roof. So that really undermines the situation. Obesity in America is tracked almost exactly with chronic illness as well. And they do consider obesity a chronic illness. So, it just seems to not add up, and I want to know more. I want dedicated investigation and dedicated studies into figuring out what the fuck is going on because I care about the health of our country. But Crystal doesn't want to solve those problems. What Crystal wants to do is pay for those problems publicly, and I have zero interest in doing that. I used to be on board for Medicare for All. I think a public option is a good idea. I would like to see that. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. also agrees that a public option would be a great idea. Crystal failed to mention that in her bad faith interpretation of his platform. But that's where we're at. Even alternative media. And honestly, Sauger, push back a little bit. Jesus Christ, dude. Push back a little bit. Like an inch at least. Just sit there and let that happen. Like, this wasn't that hard. This took me 20 minutes to pull this up. 
But Crystal has no interest in figuring out what's behind this rise of autism, and it will continue to go up. What's behind this rise in chronic illness? But you know who's making money from all this? The pharmaceutical industry and big food. And we'll continue to poison our soil, focus on monocrop agriculture. Big food will continue to be a monopoly. The packing plants will continue to be a monopoly and, 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 and abuse the hardworking farmers and ranchers of our country. We will not have localized agriculture, right? Which if you care to care, if you seem to care about climate so much, that's the best way to go about it is to localize our agriculture and bring the power back to local farmers and ranchers, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Localizing food would be an incredible benefit for our country. But to have that kind of conversation, if we're not talking about fucking Medicare for all, isn't enough for Crystal because Crystal doesn't want to solve problems. She just wants to pay for them by taxing people more. And that's why she's a fucking joke. Her, her views have not evolved one single inch in the past 10 years, and it's fucking embarrassing to watch. And I know I'm a little bit more heated than usual. I try to keep it kind of light on this show. But to watch the only person with a track record of confronting powerful institutions and winning the only person with that track record in the race on either side is RFK. And Crystal is doing everything she can to make sure we get Biden again. She's a coward and she is acting in bad faith. And it is such a fucking joke. Such a joke. God, I can't stand it. I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm all in. I'm on board. I care a lot. But it's not that I care so much about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I care about this country. And I care about the health of this country. And I want people to understand what is going on. And I want to see how I want them to see how they're being manipulated and see how they're being used. And see how their poor health is being leveraged by corporations that want to price gouge them and suck every bit of wealth and opportunity they have in their lives to line their fucking pockets. It disgusts me. It is the most disgusting part of our country. And you have Republicans that call it capitalism, which is fucking bullshit, and Democrats who call it fat shaming or whatever the, whatever the current thing is in order to avoid doing anything pragmatic and beneficial. It's, it's disgusting. And it's the reason why we're a joke of a country. And you think, well, Donald Trump's going to get in there because he pisses off the right. If you're going to compare the two, Donald Trump is an incompetent clown. And the people that are still in the Trump bandwagon, you need to understand he let you down. You should be disappointed in him. Well, yeah, was he unfairly attacked a bunch? Yeah. Did he handle it like somebody who, who, has a, who, can, who has the capacity and the competence to handle it? No. Because he doesn't. He's a real estate guy and a reality TV star. He doesn't have a track record of handling and dismantling and undermining powerful institutions and corporations. One person does. And if you don't want transparency and accountability for pharmaceutical industries, the same people that are telling you what to put in your children, we're not even close to the same page at all. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> a little heated there. God, it pisses me off. It is it's so disappointing. But that's that. That is that. Well, now, it's that beautiful part of the show where I give you something to think about.
Ooh, it's hot in here. The sun is is that time of the day where my the sun just beats down on my office, and I don't have an AC in here, and it is letting me know. My ears are sweating. My taint is sweating. But first and foremost, I got to give you something to think about. Listen, here's the deal. I grew up in a blue collar world, and I'll be honest, I kind of resented that world for a little while because I thought, man, this didn't really give me the skills to succeed and the world that we live in now, because I lived in that time I came through. I mean, I was, I was remember growing up in kind of the Clinton administration and learned to code and tech and marketing and business and this and that and yada, yada, yada. And that was kind of like, that was, that was the focus and do these things. And I kind of bucked that trend by the time I was about 19 or 20. I wanted to work in the fitness industry. I went that route, did that for a decade, really loved it. Uh, miss it a lot, to be honest with you. But when I was a kid, you know, starting at about five years old, I would go to work with my grandpa. And now why my job at five and six was just remembering uh, gate combinations and opening the gate. Because when you have an oil leases, you have a bunch of different gates because they rotate cattle and have cattle leases on the same property. So sometimes you may be going through five or six gates on one piece of property. And to get out and do that, if you're the driver, kind of a, kind of annoying. So as a five-year-old, I'd remember the gate combinations. I'd get out and open the gates. And I would close the gates if we needed to close them and do these things. And sometimes I'd go grab a tool and I'd learn what the tools were. And then as I got older, I I would help a little bit more and Maybe I'd pull up from some fence posts or maybe I'd help somebody who was running a backhoe and then I got a little older and maybe I'd help out with some guys in the rigs and just do different handy things. And I got a little bit older and I'd hire my friends out. We'd go break out flow line and we get paid 30 cents a foot, which was great. Sometimes we'd make $1,000 in a week working 60-hour weeks at 16 years old. As soon as we could drive, we could really make some money. And we learned a lot. I could run a pipe wrench. I knew how to handle different problems. And one thing that I really learned a lot from the oil industry and the oil field well, sometimes you got a problem. You get out somewhere, you're pumping wells, which what pumping means is you just go out and you're checking to make sure everything's good. You're checking the tanks, seeing how much oil's in there, how much salt water, making, but it, making sure everything's running. It's called a pumper. And so I was a pumper and I did a little oil field construction, but a lot of times I would just go pump wells and help my granddad out. So when you get out there, sometimes you got a problem, something, something's leaking, something's broken and you've got a problem and you got a truck and you got a bunch of tools in the truck and a bunch of different random parts. And sometimes you don't have the right part for the job, but if the something's not working, that's, that means that money's not being made. And sometimes you got to just solve the problem for now and come back out here and finish, do it the proper way tomorrow or when you can get the part. And something about that, right? That problem solving, that pragmatic problem solving of like, you got a problem, here's the tools you got, you're limited, get creative, make it happen, Right. Or just doing a day's work where something doesn't want to work and you got to figure out how to make it work or you got to get creative out there. Much more creativity and blue-collar work than people give it credit for. And you think about this, and I consider that a very powerful skill. And I look back on my life now. I'm 36 years old. I look back and I'm like, I learned more in the oil field than I did in high school and college combined. And probably the only thing I've learned more from besides the oil field is YouTube. But if I didn't have that oil field experience... Right, If I wasn't a roughneck as a kid, I don't think I could have applied the things I learned on YouTube when it came to fixing stuff around the house or stuff that I didn't have an experience with because I knew what the tools did, how they worked, and I could generally figure things out because I had done it time and time again as a child. And what I think we've done as a, as a society is created a, 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 a country, created a reality, created a culture. We are overeducated and underskilled. I actually know a lot of guys, a lot of men who can't change their own tire. If they get a flat, they've got to pull out a manual or look up a video. 
Don't know where to put the jack. Don't know what the star pattern is. Don't know that you need to loosen the lug nuts a little bit before you jack it up because then things get a little bit wonky if everything's really tight, right? And you want to tighten them pretty good, and then you put it back down, you tighten them back up using the star pattern so it doesn't get wonky. There's things like that, like little simple stuff that we were doing as kids, right? They wouldn't know the difference between a pipe wrench and a crescent wrench and vice grips, right? These little things that we take for granted growing up in these blue-collar worlds, and now we're in a reality where a lot of this stuff can be done a lot of this white collar stuff can be done by chat GPT. And the exposure that we have from being overeducated and underskilled is incredibly obvious, right? Now my stepdad is an electrician. My brother is, is an electrician. My dad painted cars and airplanes, right? Those are all blue collar gigs. My granddad owned and operated his own wells. That's the world that I come from. And the funny thing is now, even though I resented that at some point in my life and wanted something different and, and, and had that feeling, I look back now with so much pride of my blue-collar family. And I think that one thing we can do as individuals in our families and our communities is start to take responsibility for little things, for developing those skills. Because you never know when the people that do knows those, know how to do those things aren't going to be there, right? So maybe when something goes wrong, something gets a little janky, instead of calling somebody else to do it, at least try to figure it out. And even if you fail, try to figure it out. And if you're a parent, I think sharing that experience with your kids is so good for them. Trying and failing, doing different things. And you're seeing this move, especially with the millennials, oddly enough, to like get chickens and live outside of town and, and, and have your own thing and figure your shit out. And it's doable. Because while that stuff isn't simple, or excuse me, while it isn't easy, while that stuff isn't easy, it can be kind of simple, right? It makes sense. The things that you can put your hands on and fix and build and create, those skills are available to you. They're within your reach. But are you willing to try and fail and try and fail until you develop that skill set of learning how to just figure things out? That's something that I have that I developed at that time that I am so grateful for. And when I look around and I'm around, especially men these days, they don't. I remember I was on a, I was on a trip. I was actually going down to Peru. We were on a little bit of a, like a little charter bus going from Austin to Houston. And there was a blowout on the bus. And I remember thinking, I looked around, I was like, I'm the only man on this bus that knows what to do right now. Even the driver didn't know what to do. Now, the funny thing is they didn't have the tools to fix it. They didn't even have a wrench, right? a tire iron, or a jack. So there was nothing really to be done there. But it was odd to me that there was eight dudes. And I was the only one that knew how to handle it. It was weird. So what can you do? Where can you find those weaknesses in your own life? Expose yourself to trying and failing and trying and failing until you develop a skill. Maybe that's welding. Maybe that's woodwork. But through those things, even though those may be different, I like working with metal much more than I do wood. But at the same time, you're measuring angles and you're putting things together. 
or you're taking things apart. Can you find some passion in that, right? Get curious about those things and develop those skills to make yourself a more resilient human being. That resilience is never a weakness. And Miyagato Musashi, I believe his name is, who wrote the book of five rings, said through one thing, learn 10,000 things. And I think that makes sense, not with spreadsheets and not with the white collar lifestyle, but in the kind of skills that you gain from using your hands and using your head and trying and failing and trying and failing until you gain a capacity to figure shit out. And then you just give that to your kids and your kids give that to their kids. And at a certain point in our society, I believe that skill set will be the exception. And I think it'll be a powerful exception at that. But anyway, that's something to think about. Fucking love you guys. Join the Patreon, support our sponsors, Cured and Element. Links in the bio or show notes. You know what I'm saying. It's down there. Click it. Get some stuff. Helps me out. And of course, join the Patreon. If you listen to all the way to the end, you got to be in the Patreon, baby. Ad-free bonus episode every week. And you get a free one-week trial to check it out. Keep your head on straight out there. Love you. See you next time. Bye-bye.